Mark chapter 1. I want to invite you there to Mark chapter 1, and I want to begin to read to you the smallest chunk of Scripture that we've done in quite some time. So Mark chapter 1, verse 1. I want to read it to you. The beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. We want to let this set the tone for our church and for our lives for the next couple of months as we spend the rest of our time, hopefully the next few months, a big chunk of this year, diving into this Gospel, this good news that Mark shares with us. And we want to let these first words, this sentence, drive us in this direction. Our, our practice, we believe when you open God's Word, you don't just open the book, but something amazing happened. God actually begins to open us when we open the Bible. And, and we don't just exposit what it's in, what, what's in it, but then God kind of exposes and exposits what's in us through it. And a miraculous and amazing thing happens in this. And this is a practice, if you, if you like good churchy language, what we've done, uh, it's called lectua, lectua continua. That is that we're, we're in the same text, and we want to dig into it and let it set our agenda, so that for the next couple of months, we simply open it up and, and preach what is in it. We, we let it shape us, and we let it set the tone, and we let it give us the topics to discuss. The beginning of the gospel that is the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. This is a, a catchphrase that's built all the way to the 8th chapter of Mark. And for the rest of our time, we'll see this, the climax coming in chapter 8 when Jesus speaks to his disciples and he said, look, who do people say that I am? And some of them have all sorts of theories. Well, you're, you're like a reincarnated Elijah. You're like, you're like John the Baptist, come back from the dead. And he says, no, 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 who do you say I am? And as the climax and the peak of the entire book happens between Peter and Jesus, Peter looks at Jesus and he says, you are the Christ, the Son of God. He uses the exact same words that Mark wants to begin to build our anticipation for that finally come in chapter 8. He says, this is the good news. This is not just a story that was really fun and some crazy things happened, but instead this is the good news, the gospel that Jesus is not just a man, but he is the Christ, the anointed chosen one. He is the Son of God. So I am trying as hard as I can to get better at introducing myself. I feel like I'm getting better at this. Um, this is an ongoing kind of a practice. I want to be good at introducing myself. It's, it's, I, I don't care how extroverted or introverted you are or what any extrovert tries to tell you. It's, it's always difficult. It's still, there's this moment like, am I going to do this? All right, here, I'm going to do this. What's going to happen? And then you're, you're going to shake hands. Are we going we to hug? Are we going to have a half hug? Or, or is it going to be, I'm going to give the dead fish and no one squeezes? Or are they going to squeeze my hand off and, and break my finger at the ring? Right? Is this, this is a weird thing. And, and this is the anxiety that I bring to the table. And I'm trying to be better at it. But in that practice, I, I say, hi, my name is Jonathan. I give you my name. And, and then there's this weird thing that happens, like what happens next? All right, your name, my name. All right, where, now what? Where's, where's the common ground? And, and in those next few moments, it's, it's the, the choice of me and the people we're talking to or that as this happens to kind of reveal ourselves and to reveal ourselves very strategically, to introduce ourselves in such a way that's helpful. Right, I saw this just uh, e even a couple of weeks ago. Um, I, was, I was traveling and, and a person that I needed help from um, spoke only Spanish. Uh, and I was like, well, I mean, here, how do we do this? Right? And I've I got to find a way to relate to this person. This, this works well for me. So I was like, 
Comprendo español más que hablo, which means I understand Spanish better than I speak. And then I asked him for the thing that I needed. And he shared with me slowly in Spanish and frustratingly probably twice. And I was like, okay, thank you, helpfully. But, but in that little introduction, we had to agree on some things, right? We had to agree on how we were going to relate to one another. How's, how are we going to even communicate what I need to know, what he needs to know? This happens on a much more shallow level. Like, what do you say? How do you introduce yourself? What's the first thing if I was like, tell me about yourself? What's the first sentence that comes to mind? And the same thing has to be reciprocated. Otherwise, it just gets weird, right? And that relationship never gets to build on anything other than, okay, that was great. That's, that was awkward. Never talk to this person again. But in that moment, it's kind of pivotal. You're like, I'm, I'm going to introduce myself. I'm going to show you who I am. And so you're like, hey, naturally, we're going to go in English. If That's the first thing. Oh, you speak English. That's good. Let's, take, let's run with that. Let's stick with English. But, but something like, where are you from? Or what do you do? And then you have this option to like respond and reciprocate like, yeah, I, get, I relate to that. Now, I feel awful because I, I end up giving like a really tough spot. I'm a pastor and I just recognize how awkward that makes people feel because there's so many different. It's like saying you're a senator, like I'm a politician. It's like you, this could go either way, right? You know, there's no telling what's about to happen. And I recognize when I say, like, hey, I, yeah, I, you know, what do you do? I'm, like, I'm a pastor and I usually cringe. I'm like, I'm a pastor. Uh, good to meet you, because I don't know what's about to happen. That person's either going to be like, you're a moron, this is dumb, why would you do that, Jesus, blah, 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 blank, this is stupid. Or, or they'll, they'll stretch, some of you have done this, and I'm not going to make any eye contact, but you'll stretch to relate to me. Like, oh, that's awesome, your pastor, my brother-in-law's um, cousin's um, father used to be a pastor. And it's like, thanks, you know, uh, hey. And, and, and in that moment, we try to relate, we try to come to terms and show a little bit about ourselves so that, so that we can get to know one another, and the relationship builds. And, and I'm trying to get good at this, and I thank you for your mercy when I'm not good at this. Like, I, I play hockey. Oh, good for you. You know, I'm, I'm a Packers fan. God, you know, like, right? It's like, it's like I mean, and, and I don't have a good poker face, and so I'm, I'm trying to get better at this. And the thing that we will talk about that has to be the subtext for our understanding of this good news that Mark wants to tell us about Jesus is who God is and what God is about and what God is doing. Because in the same way that I introduce myself, God also does the same thing, but he does it on an infinitely greater level. And he has infinitely more to show about himself. And I think that if I can show you who God is and maybe run through the scripture and show you what God is about and what God is up to, then maybe I can show you what it is that the Son of God is going to be like in this book. And I think if I can show you what God is about, what God has been doing from the beginning and will continue to do forever and ever, I think I can show you that what the Son of God is doing is in fact, as Mark tells us here, good news. It's gospel. That is good news. You see, God is bringing glory to His name by saving the nations through Jesus Christ. This is what God is doing. This is what God has been doing from the minute, the instant that all things came into be by His command. This is what God is up to. He's bringing about a new creation. He's doing so through this good news of Jesus. And if I could put this into words that maybe make sense for us, it's like this. God is introducing and revealing Himself. When I say that God is bringing glory to himself, when God is drawing attention to himself, he's doing the same thing that you and I do, right? I, wanna, I want you to know me. I want there to be a relationship. And so I, I share with you bits of information. And, and as is my practice, I typically go too far and tell you a little bit more than you want to know. 
And God does this on an infinitely perfect level, an infinitely greater level, and He is introducing Himself and revealing Himself. And the way that we talk about this, and the way that the Bible talks about this, is to say that God is for Himself. Different authors, theologians will say that God is for God. That is, God is glorifying Himself. God is for His own name. And God is drawing attention to Himself. And not in an awkward fashion where He shows us things that, are, that make us feel distant from Him, but in a way that we see Him, and the more that we get to know Him, the more our affections are stirred for Him, the more that we understand His character, the more that we trust Him, and the more that He shows us who He really is and how He's unchangeable, the more we can put our faith that He is in control. God is for himself. God is for God. This is what God is like. God is for his glory. God is introducing himself. God is revealing himself as glorious. Now for us, that's a problem because if I told you that if I equated me introducing myself to you as glorifying myself, that would be a little awkward. And we don't like those kinds of people who make much of who they are, right? There's a part of us that, that in our imperfection and, and in sin nature, we know that to reveal that about ourselves and to make much of it is, is kind of uncomfortable. And we don't like the kind of people who, who make much of themselves and it turns out not to be true. But, but this is a fact. We are glorifying. That is, we are drawing attention to ourselves as we get to know one another. We are revealing pro- progressively more about ourselves. And when it's truthful, that thing just shows more about us. That's a process that reveals us and builds the relationship, depending on what is revealed. And you wouldn't call someone arrogant if they just spoke the facts, even if what they spoke seems arrogant. The, the analogy I've given you from the beginning, if, if, if Usain Bolt, the two-time winner of the gold medal, medal in the men's 100-meter dash, walked in the room and said, Hi, I'm Usain Bolt, and I'm the fastest man on earth, he's not being arrogant or prideful. In revealing that fact about himself, he's not not making more of himself than is deserved. But instead, he has, not just once, but twice, won that award. He has won that title. And so when he comes in and says, I am the fastest man on earth, none of us has a rebuttal. And hopefully none of us would think, well, that's that's an arrogant thing thing to say. But instead, we would be grateful for his truthfulness. His truthfulness. In fact, you would think something was wrong with him if the fastest man on earth came in here and he was like, hey man, I wish I was as fast as you. Part of you would go, that's, that's no, that's not true. And so it's consistent to reveal that which is true about us. It's consistent to draw attention that which is true and consistent in us. It makes us uncomfortable because we kind of picture a human being making much of themselves in an arrogant and prideful fashion that ends up leading to disappointment, Right? But not so with God. God is infinitely perfect. And so God is for himself. God is revealing himself. And and when we read this first phrase, Mark wants us to know something about God and the way in which he works such that it is actually good news. It is actually a gospel. That is a genre of literature that shows up in the Bible. It's good news. And that the Son of God would be with us and among us is actually good news. And it would reveal something to us about God that is not arrogant, that is not prideful, but instead is consistent with knowing who God is. And the same way that as I introduce myself to a person, I want them to know me and love me and appreciate me. On an infinitely perfect level, God does the same for us in Jesus. He's for himself. He's drawing attention to himself. 
And I want to show you how this is actually good news. This is what God is like. Such that when we look at Jesus and when Mark tells us who God is in Jesus Christ, it's actually good news. So if you want, one of the, my favorite ways to see this is in Psalm 23, known as the Shepherd's Psalm. If, you're, if you've spent much time in the church, you've either heard it or it's on a coffee cup or, or it's like, like, I don't know, um, somebody like wove it into something and framed it and stuck it in your grandma's house. Like this, this is a big deal and some of you haven't memorized, but I want to lead up to that. And I want to show you that believing this thing about God is in, incredibly good, it's incredibly amazing, and it will set you free and it will show you something I think it is incredibly and infinitely encouraging and powerful about who God is. This is who God is. He is for himself. He is revealing himself. He is introducing himself, if you will, to the world. And he's been doing this from the beginning. Psalm 106 put this, puts it this way, that God is rescuing Israel, his people, for his glory. Save us, O Lord, and gather, from among, gather us from among the nations. Why? That we may give thanks to your holy name and glory in your praise. Ezekiel chapter 20, God defeats the enemy and saves his people. Why? For his name. It says here in verse 9, it says, I have acted for the sake of my name, that it should not be profaned in the sight of the nations among whom they have lived, and those in whose sight I have made myself known to them in bringing them out of the land of Egypt. Verse 14, I acted for the sake of my name. Verse 22, I have withheld my hand and acted for the sake of my name. Verse 44, and you shall know that I am the Lord when I deal with you for my name's sake. 2 Samuel 7, God gives the throne of David to him for his name. It says, verse 13, he shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever, a la Jesus. 1 Samuel 12, God did not cast away the people that were close to him for the sake of his name. Isaiah 43, God has created us for his glory and for his name. I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, do not withhold, bring my sons from afar. Get that? God is drawing the nations to himself, and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Why? For everyone who is called by my name, whom I have created for my glory, whom I have formed and made. Isaiah 49, God has called out Israel, the chosen people, for his glory. I will say to the north, excuse me, um, for the sake of his glory, it says that the Lord called me from the womb, from the body of my mother, he named my name. He made my youth like a sharp sword in the shadow of his hand. He hid me and he made me a polished arrow. That sounds awesome that God would do that for you, right? Why would he do that? In his quiver, he hid me away. And then he said to me, you are my servant. In you, I will be glorified. Ezekiel 36, God restores Israel out of exile for his glory, for his name's sake. Habakkuk chapter 2, the earth is filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. It says, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea, right? As much water as in the sea, which is a lot, that's how much glory will cover the earth. That's what God is doing. The New Testament picks this right up, Matthew chapter 5. Good works are meant to be done for the glory of his name. In the same way, Jesus says, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works. And what, give you high fives, pat you on the back? No, they will see you good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. 1 Peter 2.12, God commands obedience for his glory among the nations. It says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of his visitation. God is doing this. He's doing it for his name. 
on and on and on. I've just scratched the surface. I could keep going. Then John picks this up in the best way. John chapter 7, Jesus is ultimately seeking to glorify God and how he teaches. He says the one who speaks of his own authority, he seeks his own glory. But the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true, and in him is no falsehood. John 14, he answers prayer. God answers his own prayers given to him in order to glorify himself. And Jesus says, do so in my name. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Why? To glorify himself. You want to unlock the power of prayer? You want to dig into the mystery of prayer? Jump into Jesus' words there and ask for things that glorify God and don't glorify you. Think about where the glory really is going when we ask God for things. John 12, Jesus endures suffering. Why? For the glory of of God. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to this hour, an hour of suffering, mind you, that, Father, you would glorify your name. And a voice came from heaven as if to confirm it. It says, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. John 16, the ministry of the Holy Spirit, as we've seen, is ultimately to glorify the Son of God. John 16, 13, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, that is Jesus. John 17, verse 14, Jesus' aim is ultimately to be glorified so that he will glorify God. Whatever glory he receives, he means to glorify God with it. For the hour has now come to glorify your son. Why? In order that the son may glorify you. Romans 3 jumps in this from verse 23 all the way to 26. One of the most misquoted or misused and abused statements about sin. Romans 3.23, for all have sin and what? For all have sinned and are going to hell. Right? For all have sinned and will be punished for it. And for all have sinned and will live miserable lives as, a, lives as a result. No, the greatest consequence of sin and rebellion against God is what? Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fallen short of what? The glory of God. The glory that he alone deserves. And because of his great glory, so also is sin and rebellion egregious. Even little sins aren't little they're grand, not because they have a scale in and of themselves, but they are sinned against a perfect and holy God who deserves all the glory. And it's as if we come into the stage and say, no, Usain Bolt, you are not the fastest man on earth. I am. And we are trying to steal what is rightfully his. Romans 9, God is prepared beforehand to demonstrate his patience with us. Why? For his glory. It says God desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power has endured with much patience, vessels of wrath prepared for destruction. Why? In order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy. He gives us mercy to show his own goodness, to reveal and introduce himself. 1 Corinthians 10.31 commands then for us to do all that we do, whether we eat, whether we drink, whatever you do, you do all for what? The glory of God. 1 Peter 4, we serve in a way as for his glory. 2 Thessalonians 1, God is equipping us ultimately to glorify the Son of God. Romans 11, everything is for his glory. For from him and through him and to him are all things. Therefore, to him be the glory forever. Amen. Do you get, the, like, do you get this? 
God is doing something for himself to introduce himself to the world, to draw attention to himself for the nature that he has. Ephesians 1 is one of our favorite things to jump out with, but this is why God has saved us. We're like, God has adopted us. He saved us. God has done so. Why? For the praise of his glory. In him we have redemption through his blood, forgiveness of trespasses according to the riches of his grace. That sounds awesome. Like That makes you sound like a really big deal. He's forgiven and redeemed you. Why? Verse 12, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. In him you, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, you were sealed with the promise of the spirit. That sounds awesome. The, the spirit will be with us. And he has now guaranteed an inheritance until we acquire possession of it. Why? To the praise of his glory. Get it? Do you feel redundant? This is a theme. And I, I, I'm having to skip through. Go all the way to the end of the book, Revelation chapter 21. There's a picture of this new creation, a new Jerusalem, a new heaven that we've been given. And it says that because the glory of God shines so brightly, there will be no more need of the sun. God's glory will be so made manifest, so amazingly visible for us that that burning ball of gas that gives you sunburn when you're not looking for it will actually be dimmed and will be useless. This is what God is doing. God is for you. God loves you. God gives you mercy. God redeems you. But ultimately, he does so to introduce himself to the world to reveal himself and to glorify himself. And it is good. It is true. It is consistent for him to do this. So look at Psalm 23, where I told you to run. Psalm 23 is known as the shepherd's psalm because it paints a picture of God as a shepherd, right? I mean, who wouldn't want to be like a, a little sheep that, you know, the, the, the shepherd scoops up and, and, and saves and protects, right? That's, that's, that's adorable, right? This, this makes us feel with all sorts of warm fuzzies. And we, if we're not careful, we'll think that's about us. It says that the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. That sounds awesome. And he makes me to lie down in green pastures. Again, that's awesome. He leads me beside still waters. This is my favorite. He restores my soul. I mean, is there anyone in here would, would love a little restoration in your soul? When you look at your life, you look at the world, you go, God, re restore my soul. This is what he, the shepherd, does. And then it says he leads me in paths of righteousness. But why? Why does he restore our soul? Why does he give us green pasture? Why does he lead us beside still waters? Verse 3 says that he leads us in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. For the sake of his name. God is doing this. This is who God is. He reveals himself to the world. He is for himself. is important because as we talk about the gospel if we don't grasp this tightly i'm afraid what you will see and i want to show you you'll miss the radically countercultural nature of this it is our nature to make all of existence in our lives about anything but god even though i've shown you all of creation everything that exists all that exists, even the things we don't know exist, have been created for God's glory. And all that is happening in the world, God is turning about for good. And he's making something glorious of it. But is our temptation to do anything but that? And so what happens is when we say there's a gospel, there's good news that God is doing this, we tend to pervert it. And I want to show you some ways, even just a few, that we turn this good news into something that's never meant to be. You see, if we don't consider what God is doing, then we won't understand and appreciate and be grateful for what is good news. And what will happen is a perversion will emerge. And here's a few that have happened in the history 
of the church. Here's a few that I think you can even see now. The first one we call it the social gospel. This was really big at the turn of the 20th century. And the truth is, God for his glory is not God. Fairness is God. Fairness is the ultimate God. And anything and everything must be done. So, therefore, injustice is hell. Anytime there's economic or, or social inequality, we exist ultimately to eliminate the, the unfairness, to bring about justice. And it's the church's goal as a result to, to engage in social projects and to help people. We save the world because ultimately the thing it needs to be saved from is injustice because fairness is our God. A backlash, a backlash to this is what I would call a quietist gospel, right? And this gospel, the God is don't do anything that will upset the status quo. God is don't rock the boat. Do not stir the pot. That is God. And hell is whenever there's turmoil or conflict. And salvation then is about simply spiritual matters and not secular matters. In this, in this particular kind of disengaged picture of the gospel, Jesus is depoliticized. Jesus is simply a spiritual guide. There's no real implications for following Jesus. There's the prosperity gospel. And this, your comfort is God. Your comfort is ultimate. It's built on the assumption that what God wants and what all creation is built around is your comfort. So therefore, God is simply the handmaid to give you this. This prosperity theology, sometimes it's referred to as a gospel of success or, or the gospel of health and wealth. It's a heretical doctrine because it teaches that financial blessings or, or creature comfort in this world is God's ultimate goal. Now, each one of these, I think you'll find the problem with all of these is the Bible. <laughs> like the problem is the way these fail throughout Scripture and history. How, I mean, like, think about it. H how are we doing at that? If Jesus ultimately came to bring fairness, how are we doing? Are, are, are we doing pretty good at bringing about income and social equality? How are we doing? Huh? If, if ultimately Jesus is meant to, to, to solve conflict, how are we doing? How well did he do? If, if he's meant to give you comfort and riches and wealth, how's he doing? How rich and wealthy are you? This is what I would call the therapeutic gospel, where ultimately happiness is God. This is a judgmentless gospel. This is where God is, is robbed of his holiness. He's not special or perfect. Instead, ultimately, God exists to make me feel good. And I see this showing up at least in three different ways as I would kind of categorize it. There's maybe more, but at least three. I would call it the social club gospel, where inclusion is God. Loneliness is hell. And so the goal of the church, therefore, is to bring about just fellowship and friendship of people that look, act, and talk like you. Watch Cheers and you'll see this. This is a place where ultimately everyone knows your name and we all look the same and this is, this is how this happens. And hell is woe to the church who actually excludes people based on something crazy like, I don't know, what they believe, right? This, 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 is, this is prevalent, this is real. I would call it the social club gospel. In, in, inclusion is God. One of the things I see also is the individualistic gospel. This is like a churchless gospel. I just need Jesus. Me and him are buddies. He's my homeboy. Put it on a t-shirt. I don't need all you Christians like caring for me or watching over me. Get off my back. This is about me and God. He died for me. This is all about me. Salvation is primarily about the individual. It has nothing to do with the community. There's also what I would call the mystic experiential gospel. Maybe the emotional high is God. Where the focus is primarily an emotional experience with God. The last one I would say 
lump into two different categories, a moralistic gospel, maybe a formalistic gospel. The moralistic gospel is that good behavior is God. Our big problem is that sin has made us bad people, and Jesus came to make us cleaned up better people. And if you're good enough and smart enough, you'll do better. The formalistic gospel, conformity is God. It's all about belonging to the right club. And so sin is simply falling away from what people teach you is the norm. You have to jump and follow Jesus in pre-described forms of Christianity. And all it takes is one breakdown in any one of these areas, and you will realize and see that God is no longer real, and God is no longer good, and God is no longer necessary. So in each of these fake views of God, where the glory that is meant to be for God gives, is given to something else, here's how this sounds. Here's how you know you subscribe to a false view of God that doesn't glorify him. You'll see these words, like, you'll say something like, how can there be a God if there's evil and injustice in the world? God can't be real because there's evil out there. Why do you think that? Because you ultimately worship fairness. And therefore, since God doesn't give you the fairness that you want, you're like, I don't want any part to do with him. I'm going to run from God. There's bad stuff in the world. How can there be a God if there are bad people in the world? Because after all, Jesus came to make good people. Let's stay away from those people. God can't be real because I'm surrounded by bad people. Or you'll hear people say, God isn't real because I don't feel close to him. Ever heard this one? I don't know where God is because I don't feel like I'm happy. I don't feel like God's with me. And as long as I'm not at church camp, I don't feel like God's with me. You know why? Because you're not worshiping God who wants to glorify himself and reveal himself through his son. You're worshiping an emotional experience. You heard this? I mean, as soon as it breaks down, these are the words that come out of our mouth. God can't be real because I'm not happy. God isn't real because life is difficult. Why do we say that? Because we believe that our comfort is God. God can't be real or I'm struggling to believe in God because I'm not as wealthy or as prosperous as other people. God can't be real because that doesn't make sense. I can't rationalize that. Why do you say that? Because you think that ration is God. Maybe God isn't real because he defies logic. I can't explain him. You get this? Most of the things that people use to reject who God is are based on a faulty belief about who God is to begin with. And their salvation is built in themselves and raising up some idol that, that for them looks and sounds like a God that's convenient for them, but isn't the God of the Bible who saves people ultimately for his namesake and for his glory. This is the God who's introduced himself to us. And the minute something breaks down in this, these words start coming out. Where'd you go, God? And all the while, God hasn't moved an inch. He's right there. He's sovereign. He's stable. But it's really just this simple fact that the thing we actually worshipped other than God didn't work out. And we tend to be in a tailspin of despair. And some of you right now are living in that tailspin of despair. I want you to see that you have focused on something that is not God, that he had never meant for you to receive or believe. And I and Mark have good news for you. If you will trust in Christ, if you will trust in who God is and what he has done for you, he will not let you down. And what you will find miraculously and amazingly is that you will have joy, an an eternal sense of joy, in spite of rough emotional patches. You'll have an an unending joy in in spite of inequality and unfair treatment. You'll have amazing and eternal joy in spite of all sorts of circumstances that may fall apart around around you. This is what God does. He is leading us in these paths for his namesake. 
So what has this got to do with us? God is for himself, and God is doing this thing. Here's, here's where I think this brings us a sense of joy. And for some of you, it may be shocking. But this is actually good news, and it actually sets us free. It's actually a good thing that God is for himself, and that God is in charge, and he's bringing things about for himself. Because in his infinite sense of love, in his infinite sense of perfection, when he does these things for us, it actually brings about eternal sense of joy. And this good news that God has announced to us in Jesus Christ is an eternal good news. It's the kind of good news that we will spend forever and ever celebrating. So there's two responses as I see it. For some of you in this room, one of these two responses or some mix. There's either prideful arrogance or there's prideful despair. And they're both a result of worshiping a God that does not exist. And so as I tell you that this is not about you, that this is about God, here's the, I mean, here's the big one. That we get, like, even your own life isn't about you, right? I mean, that, that begin to blow your mind, right? Even Jesus, isn't that what Jesus said? Like, I mean, I'm here, I'm going to do all this stuff, I'm going to heal people, but in the end, I'm even not even for my own glory. Whatever glory I get, I'm going to give to God. And so your life isn't even about you. And so your first response is either prideful arrogance, no, uh you don't know me, I'm better than this. Your first response is, well, I can do this. I'm going to bring this about. The things that I want to happen in this world, I'm going to make it happen. I can do this. And that's prideful arrogance. Or for some of you, it's prideful despair. I'm standing here telling you that God is great and God is the center of all things and he's bringing all things about for his glory. And your first response is, well, then it's no use. Because deep down inside, you really hoped that all this was about you. I'm going to show you that both of them are a pride based in believing that we are God, either that you have control of God or that you wish you did, but now you're a victim as a result. There's good news here. And this is what Mark wants us to know. There's good news in proclaiming that Jesus is the Christ. Did you catch that word Christ? I grew up believing Jesus Christ was like a first and last name. I thought like Christ was his last name. He's Jesus Christ. Of course he is. Jesus C. There you go. That's, That's who Jesus is. Come to find out this picture of Christ This is something that God has been doing from the beginning. One of the first stories about the brokenness of humanity comes in the book of Genesis. And the promise that God gives to the enemy, gives it to the snake who started this whole mess. He says, look, you're going to snap at the heel of my people, but then there's going to be one, the seed of the woman, it says. And this is funny because you don't usually talk about the seed of women. And if that confuses you, ask your parents, let them, let them explain that to you. But like, it says that the seed of the woman is going to come and it's going to crush the head of that ancient snake. And even though the snake may have bit him and caused him to fall, his head will be crushed and he will be finished. There's one who's coming and he's going to do this. And over and over and over again, he just, he just said that for his glory, he's going to give David a king. And, and, and in his kingship, he's going to, a kingdom, he's going to give him in his kingship an eternal throne. And that king we believe comes for us is anointed, and we call the Christ that is Jesus. And that ancient snake that waits poised to destroy you and me just like it did for Adam is now dead and put to death because of Jesus. And that new kingdom that's coming, that's bringing about a much better kind of a life that we experience in any kingdom in this world, is coming by Jesus. And that's good news, because this is how God wants to introduce himself. It sets us free. For some of you, this is gonna, this, you're going to start to start to open your eyes to this, and you're going to feel a great amount of joy. You're going to realize, this is not about you. And this is why there's so much anger and frustration when we try to make it about us. This is why there's so much brokenness when you try, like Napoleon or Hitler, to take over the world because you are great. 
feel this set you free. I mean, have you ever noticed how frustrating it is to try to be something that you're not? I mean, we would never, fu- we would never say, I am God, but functionally, we, we believe that, right? You ever notice how frustrating it is, like when you're driving down the highway, and you're not like an ambulance? They don't, everyone just like turn, you know, oh, he's coming, here comes Jonathan, let's get off the road, he needs the road. You ever notice that when you get on the road, people like pull in front of you? Have you ever thought that maybe that road was built for all people and for a greater purpose? Have you ever noticed how frustrating it is when you believe it's about you? You ever notice how much you yell at the people because they, well, they got in my way. You're right, because it's your road. You built it. It's for you. It's got your name on it, right? Have you ever experienced this frustration? For some of you, this will set you free from that. Oh my goodness, the road isn't about me. Oh my goodness, we're, we're all, we're all going to share it? Well, get, get on in. This road's for everybody. Come on. Let me leave enough space for you. It sets you free. You know, oh, this isn't about me. You ever notice how frustrating it is when people don't respond to you like you're the governor? Like you tell people things to do and they don't do it? You ever notice how frustrating that is? It's an amazingly powerful and joyful truth to realize you're not the governor. Oh, oh, he's the governor. I can stop acting like this. Stop driving like you're in an ambulance. Not everyone has to pull over for you. Stop acting like you're in charge. God is in charge for his glory. And this will set you free. This will, this will give you an open view that God is doing something that's greater and it's actually more joyful. And the frustrations that come when we don't get our way are actually meant to remind us that we're not supposed to get our way. He is. It's for his namesake that you're here. He is good. He is an infinitely good father and he will never, ever, ever forsake you or leave you. This is good news. This is good news. We begin to feel the frustrations drop off of you. This is the Son of God. This gives us the freedom to focus on Him and what He is doing rather than focusing on the frustration that comes from not ever succeeding in what you're doing. Some of you right now, you're in despair. You're just, I just, you are not where you thought you would be. You are not, right now, you are, like, you are not where you thought you would be and you think that's a bad thing. And you feel the disappointment from your parents or peers or whoever and it's weighing heavily on you because you're not getting the glory and attention and success that you think you deserve. And I have good news for you. You never were meant to have those things. God meant to give those things to Jesus so that when we look to him, the cares and the cost of this world start to fall and fade away. It's so frustrating. But I would argue we also have no idea how deeply rooted this is into our culture. Ultimately, what we believe is that the bad thing that's happened is out there. And the good thing, the solution is in here. We have an alien problem and we have a personal solution. And the ultimate heroism, the the ultimate success is for the, the self to be realized and then to be projected out onto what is wrong, either by something you do or something you reveal in yourself. One of the best ways to see this sometimes is just look at culture as it's boiled down to its lowest possible denominator, and that is in children's, children's culture. I love, man, I love Disney for this. They're the, good, they're the best at telling cultural fables, right, and telling us what we believe. Right, go back, remember, remember Bambi, right, remember Charlotte's Web? Those are dark. By the way, just so you know, like, if you're a parent in a Disney movie, you die. Like, this is how this starts every time. 
Why? Why do you think that is? Because I think they want to set up, uh, they want to set the stage for the greatest fear that we have, which is to lose our parents, so that the ultimate hero comes as an individuated, self-differentiated person. I am not who my parents are. I can't be. They're dead. And Disney does this the best. But something switched, something changed, and now they're not talking, telling deep, dark stories like Bambi, right, or the deep, dark stories uh, like, like you would see in, I don't know, something like I don't know, Charlotte's Web, which is, ugh, again, I mean, think about this, that's, that's demoralizing. But they actually, in children's culture, you see some of these stories come out. Anyone remember this? A little while back, there was a story about a pig, and that pig's name was Babe, right? But this pig was not like any other pig. This pig believed he was a sheepdog. And how does the hero, like, how does the hero emerge out of that story? Everyone on the outside is like, no, 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 you're a pig. I mean, you look like a pig, you smell like a pig, you are a pig. And he's like, no, I'm a sheepdog, I can do whatever I want. And how does the hero emerge? He ends up proving to everyone else that what's inside of him was true all along. And everything out there was wrong, and it was a, it was a hindrance. He had to throw off the hindrances of what people expected of him and prove to him that he is who he believes he is. Never mind that it didn't correspond to reality. Do you get this? What about a recent hero, Elsa? This is a big deal in my house. How is she the hero? She's a hero because what she had to hide from the world, she finally got to let out, right? And she got to, I hate to say, let it go, right? She couldn't, she didn't have to hold it anymore. And the ultimate success, the ultimate heroic act is that she was able to solve that which was broken. Finally, I mean, because love melts a frozen heart, right? But that came from her love. And she finally, where did she, she looked inside. She goes, oh, I get it. I get what's wrong. It's in me and I got to love. Did you get this? There's, there's an alien problem, but there's an internal solution. And all you have to do is dig deep enough or, or find yourself or be on a journey or endure enough to where finally you are that person and you project it onto the world. But the gospel is the opposite shows us that the true darkness is actually not out there, but it's, it's in here. And try as you might to impose what you falsely believe about God and you onto the world, try as you might, it only ends in despair. And the gospel is that the problem isn't out there, the problem isn't here. But thanks be to God, He has provided an alien righteousness, and an alien solution. He has, brought, he has brought you something outside of yourself, something you do not deserve, a perfect and holy sacrifice that is the Son of God. And He now can save and transform, be united to you and save you. It's amazing. It's good news. Realize how countercultural this is to really believe that this isn't about me and revealing and finding myself. This really is about something God is doing. Let that set you free. You're having a hard, having a hard time finding yourself? Like you, you're struggling right now? I don't know who I am. I don't know what to do. Most people in the age bracket, the people in this room, will change careers four times before they settle on one. Having, having a hard time with the rest of your generation finding yourself? I want to give you good news. Here's where God means to give you the answer. And as long as you look for that identity, as long as you find for that joy in other things, you will continue to find despair you will continue to find sorrow. And this union with Christ undermines our individual expressionism. I want you to have a grand view of God. As you do, God may begin to appear more terrifying, but he will then appear all the more glorious. That he, being as mighty and great and perfect and holy as he is, has looked upon you and me to draw into himself. 
Some of you would fall down flat if your celebrity idol introduced themselves to you. Like if the person you idolized like walked up and was like, hi, let's hang out, right? Some of you, Taylor Swift, like, hey, let's go hang out. You'd be like, ah! Right? Some of you, Justin Bieber, hey, let's hang out. You'd be like, ah! Try to hit both sides on that one, maybe hit the same side. I don't really know. <laughs> Whatever hero that you have, that genius or that, that highly accomplished person, that person who's living the life that you believe that you deserve to live, if they called you and they were like, hey, let's hang out, you would be flabbergasted they would want to spend time with you. Friend, hear the good news. The infinitely perfect and holy God of the universe who has created you, fashioned all that exists, wants to know you, wants to introduce himself to you. And so that you would never wonder about it again, he came to be as you in Jesus Christ. Let that flabbergast you. Let that introduction begin to knock you off of your feet. Let the joy and wonder that comes from knowing God Knowing this good and merciful God, let that sweep you off your feet and give you a sense of joy that will not wear off. Let this good news transform even your imagination to consider what it might be like if you really took seriously that God is doing things for his glory, that God has a grand and amazing plan, and he in his mercy has invited you and me to participate in it. Realize the gratitude that wells up in us when we realize how, man, how awesome it is just to know that, much less to, wait, you want me to tell people that? Wait, me? Are you sure? I hope that we will affirm this truth, and I hope that when Mark tells us all the amazing things about Jesus, that we will lead up to the climax that Peter leads us to in chapter 8. You, Jesus, you are the Christ. You're the one. You're the one. You're the one who answers all the questions. You're the one who does all that which I cannot do. You're the solution to the problem that is in me, the thing that I've been seeking all my life and despaired because I didn't know it. You are the one. You are the Christ. You're the Son of God. You are God with us. And I hope we will affirm this truth and then join God in His great task of making Himself known to the nations as a God who gives Himself to His people in mercy. So some of you are beginning to crack as I begin to say this. Some of you, I can see like the scales are falling off your eyes. You're opening your eyes. Well, this, this is bigger. This is grander. This is greater. My life, all of a sudden, this is bigger. This is bigger even than you are a snowflake, right? This is bigger than you are a princess. This is bigger than your wildest dreams. In fact, this is beyond all that we could ask or even imagine. This is what God is giving to you. And for some of you, you're beginning to realize this. And here's what will happen. You'll experience greater joy. And the things that mean to frustrate and distract you will be less frustrating and less distracting. Oh, you cut me off? That's okay. It's not really my road anyway. Let's share it. And for some of you, the scales are falling off and you're seeing this. But for some of you, you will continue to believe that this life and your world is really about you. And you will try to make everyone bow to you. And even as I tell you that it's not about you, you will try as hard as you can to circle around in this frustration. And you'll make your spouse worship and bow down to you for your glory, your pleasure, your comfort. You'll make your friends bow down to you for your approval and your worship. You'll even make the church about you for my comfort, my needs, my emotional, emotional sensibilities. For some of you, even that you're like, I'm going to know this is about me. Can I share with you the most powerful truth about this thing that God is doing? 
God is not giving options about his glory. God is doing this, whether you like it or not. And in his infinite mercy, he is going to be known among the nations. And he will use you for his glory. And he will either use you as an example to the world of what his wrath looks like. When you rebel against God and seek his glory for yourself, he will use you as an example for eternity as to what happens when you do that. And he will, in his glorious grace, because he is perfect, he deserves to. And he deserves to make an example out of all of us and to use you and me as an example to the world. This is what happens when you rebel against me. This is what happens when you make it about you and not me. And he will display his wrath in us forever and ever. But here, friends, the good news. He has chosen in his mercy to display his nature to you and to the nations by using you as an instrument of his goodness. And he means to display and be glorified among the nations by saving you. And instead of using you as an example of what not to do, our God is revealing himself through this good news that his son saves. He will crush that ancient snake and he will redeem even that which is dead and he can restore that which is broken. Friend, hear this good news. This isn't about you. For some of you, this frees you from frustration about the Bible. We talk about this often. A lot of you, a lot of people, we, we make the Bible about, we try to treat it like a, a yearbook, a high school yearbook. You know what you do when you find your high school yearbook, right? You don't look at other people. You go flipping through the pages looking for you. And for some of you, the Bible is incredibly frustrating. And in 2016, you're scared of reading it. Here's good news for you. It's a lot better book when you read it like it's not about you. In fact, it's pretty amazing. God uses some real losers. He uses some really messed up people to display his goodness. Let the frustration fall off you when you realize how good God's plan is and the mercy that is available to us when we trust that he is the center and he does not fail. Let's pray. God, thank you so much that you are in control, that you are sovereign. We thank you that you are good even when we are not. God, we confess to you all the ways in which we have such difficulty seeing you at work. I confess all the ways in which I let my own worship of approval and comfort get in the way of what you mean to do through the nations. We confess all the ways in which we, we desperately want this to be a story about us. We desperately want to be the hero at the end of this. We desperately want to take the place of you in this story, and we want to be in control. But God, we confess that this only leads to despair and confusion. This is a frustrating game. And we confess that we have seen it all wrong. So for some in this room, maybe they've never considered the possibility that there's a grander design, that there's a God who means to draw them near. Would you begin to show them the possibility that you are working all things together for this? That even the random person that invited them to spend this morning here wasn't random, but he, was, he or she was ordained, predestined. That, that person was mapped out from the beginning of the universe to be in this room to, to hear this good news for the first time. For those of us who know this good news, but we constantly drag ourselves into the center of attention, we declare to you, God, uh, to your grace we are a debtor. We are so prone to wander. God, bind our hearts because we desperately, as much as we can, want to make this about us and not about your grace. We confess that we need your mercy to draw us closer to the center. 
Jesus, in the end, your name will be the name that is known. Your name is the name that will be glorified, and you will be glorified as a good and merciful king, a savior who lays down his life for his kingdom. It is in your name that we find salvation. There is no other name under heaven that we can find purpose and joy. There is no other name that we can be the true and adopted sons of God that you've made us to be. We declare this name. We thank you for this. By your name, Jesus Christ, Son of God, amen.